Welcome back to the Rock This Life podcast, season one, episode four. I'm your host, Lindsay Miller, and today's guest is a multi-award-winning life coach whose client roster ranges from billionaires to celebrities. He has appeared on MTV, Fox, NBC, Oprah's own network. I mean, if Oprah likes it, we all should like it. He is now bi-coastal in Los Angeles and Nashville. He calls himself America's Life Coach, Stefan Lovegrove. He's here today, and I actually met Stefan a really long time ago doing a TV after show together for a reality show that we co-hosted, and he is the first life coach I had ever met, and I was just always really fascinated with what it is and what it isn't that he does, so I thought I'd have him on the show today to really talk about you know, what does a life coach do and if he has any great advice on on how to live your best life. Um, So today we'll dive into that. We'll also talk a little bit about how it was to grow up in a fundamentalist cult in the South as a gay man. He has got a really fascinating life story and how he got to where he is. And I hope you guys find him as interesting as I do. Thank you so much, Stefan, for being here. Uh, LA's on fire. This was just super LA is on fire. I... You know, it's interesting. Two of my best friends mm. who are both evacuated, one from Thousand Oaks, who's, mm-hmm. you know, right by the borderline shooting that just happened at right. the time of this recording, and then one on the coast on PCH in Malibu. And the whole thing's been scary. Um, and I, I feel kind of weird saying that because I'd always be sad for loss of life. I'd always be sad for people in harm's way regardless. Yeah. But it's a different thing yeah. to have two friends that are still... Displaced. living out on a couch yeah. right now because of what's going on. Yeah. You know? It's one thing to see a tragedy on the news. It's another to like be directly affected by it. I think it's different. And so the reason why I bring that up is because I think it's interesting. I feel like when something like that happens, it makes you rethink, why are we in LA? Like, why are we here? What are we doing? What is this trying to tell us, so to speak? I guess I'm not a very omen kind of person, but I do read the signs of what's happening in my life. As a life coach, do you feel like your clients or the people that you work with are inspired by these bigger events to rethink and reevaluate and make changes or just even assess what's going on? I do think so. Um, I think signs can be a tricky thing because over five years of being a life coach, I've heard all kinds of things as supposed of signs mm. from my clients. <laughs> and... What? In, Jesus in, wasn't in your pancake? Right. Well, and, and in one sense, I want to acknowledge, like, it's cognitive bias, right? This mm. is basic psychology. Our brains can make a sign out of anything, right? Mm. So you could literally decide today, I want a sign that we're supposed to stay in L.A., or I want a sign that we're supposed to leave L.A., and I have no doubt that you could find a sign for either, right? Mm. So that is the tricky thing about signs. But I do think there are moments where it does feel like our life redirects us in an un, really an unavoidable way. Hmm. Um, and when that happens, that's not this dumb, shallow discussion of like, well, I, I had a string of yellow lights, so do you <laughs> think that I need to be less reckless in my life? That's not that kind of stuff. Sometimes your life just interrupts and mm. you have to pay attention. And it's interesting because a lot of times people hire me because of the interruption, but also something I never expected is people sometimes hire me not even knowing the interruption is coming. Mm. 
Mm. And then the interruption will happen and they'll freak out. But this is what's happening in your life. And if there's one thing I swear by, it's that you have to work with what's in your life. That's mm-hmm. the place to do the work. So I'm very, not to be in just a dumb hippie sounding way, but I'm very intent with my clients on whatever is showing up for you right now is where we need to do the work. Not mm. some hypothetical scenario of three months down the road, this, right? that, the other. The what ifs, the what if, but what if this, what if that, what if this. Right. Because that's, that's where our brains would love to go, honestly, to get us out of our bodies and out of our feelings, because that's where the stuff is that we really don't want to look at. Mm-hmm. And, but your life is always the material. And I, you know, I've heard um, Marianne Williamson talk about the Cinderella kind of principle that when Cinderella wanted to go to the ball, everything she ended up needing was already in her room. It was already with her. Mm. It was already in her house. And it turned into everything that she needed and everything that she wanted to get her to the ball. But the point is, she had the pumpkin, she had the mice, she had the clothes. I don't remember everything that was required. Yeah. <laughs> but but it, the point is, it was all in her room. Right. And so, so many of us think, I don't have what I need and I don't have what I want. And the instinct is if everything was just different and out there and in a future moment and with different circumstances, then I could really get back on track. Mm -hmm. But the truth is all we ever have to work with is our life. So whether life feels like it's been interrupted, whether life feels like it's not what you wanted, whether life feels like it's gone to hell, you have your life and that is the material you have to work with. And Obviously, to some people, this would sound very idealistic, but I have seen people truly nothing less than working miracles in their life by really engaging with what was present for them. And so, so long answer to say, (laughs) yes, I do believe life redirects us and that's a thing. I love that. We should all be more like Cinderella. What? (laughs) Well, and it's like, (laughs) no, but I love that. It's so true because I think we kind of get, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I don't remember what one. And the person being interviewed was saying basically the same thing. It's like, uh, she was talking about social anxiety and she thinks that a lot of people feel like, okay, if then, right? Like if I'm more confident or if I lose the weight or if I, you know, get a better job, then I'll feel more confident putting myself out there and saying yes to a date or asking that girl out or going to that party or going to that, you know, mixer, whatever it is. But she was saying that actually it's quite the opposite. And that if you sit there and you wait for those situations for you to feel okay doing it, you're never going to be okay doing it. As opposed to if you just put yourself out there and you do it, yeah, it's not going to be great the first time, but the more you do it, then you're going to, be more confident and you're going to have those things kind of fall into place. You know, it's, you got to do the work first and then it comes. So it's kind of that same theory where it's like, you know, if you keep thinking, Oh, this, if this happens, it'll be the right time. Or if I do this, or if I get to that, or if my bank account has enough money in it, then I'll be able to start something or quit my job or do whatever it is. It's like, that's not really the way the world works. Like you're, Never going to do right. it. Right. Well, and <laughs> do it now. The ultimate pattern of self sabotage is when we get ourselves in cycles of seek and do not find, mm. which means we're always telling ourselves that it's just around the corner, but we're actually setting up scenarios where it's never just around the corner. And so we're never mm. actually finding the thing. We're just always seeking. And man, is this a city of chasing, chasing right. relevance? I could, that's a whole nother discussion. But 
But what's interesting is um, I very much am a firm believer that we all live from the inside out. And so if you're mm-hmm. going to feel it, if you're going to change it, if you're going to create it, it has to start from within. We live, obviously being in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and Beverly Hills, we live in a place that's the opposite of that, where everybody tries to do outside in. So if I get the right fillers and maybe if I put gold on my face and if I drive the right car and if I wear the right brands and if I win enough awards this year and still get invited to this and I'm still considered, Mm -hmm. everybody wants stuff from the outside in. And and the biggest lie is that that works. Uh, Actually, I'll tell a story that I don't think I've told in any other interview. I was in a lift in Nashville and this Mm -hmm. guy was taking me to the airport and I was telling him what I did and I said, well, you know, I'm a life coach for entrepreneurs and entertainers. And he says, and I'll try to do the Southern accent, Lindsay. He oh, goes, be amazing. he goes, I mean, no offense, but I cannot for the life of me comprehend why an entertainer would need a life coach. And I said, mm-hmm. I got a little sassy that day. I was running late. It was <laughs> you early. Sassy? Can you imagine? Stephen, no. Um, but, but I said to the guy, I said, you know, sir, with all due respect, the attitude that you just expressed honestly puts all the more pressure on these people Mm -hmm. because whether we're talking about a designer or a music artist or an actor or a host or whatever it is Mm -hmm. you're insinuating this whole lie we've all bought into that if everything is perfect on the outside you don't have problems Mm -hmm. and I said I can't believe there's people that still believe it but yet Clearly, um, tons of people believe There's it, right? There's so many people that believe it, and it's really sad. You know, we see all these celebrities, you know, Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and all these people who on the outside, everyone's like, I can't believe they would have a reason to kill themselves or, you know, just anybody who ends up in rehab or whatever. And it's like, how can you not believe it? They have all of the humanity that we have. All of the stuff that well, we have and a magnifying glass put on their lives. Like, I think the people that don't believe it are the people who haven't gotten what they want externally. Mm. And so they're still living in the fantasy that, when yeah, but it. if I had my dream house then. Mm. And what I would say to anybody who still, because we all buy into that to some degree, right? right? Whatever it is for you, what, we all buy into it. Some people it's career. Some people it's financial things. Some people it's love. Oh my God, I'm going to find the partner and that's going to be the thing. Mm-hmm. And you know what I would say to all of those people is it doesn't matter what the thread count is on the sheets. It doesn't matter where what neighborhood the house is in. It doesn't matter who else is with you in the bed. At the end of the night, you have to go to bed with you. Mm-hmm. So how you feel, how you feel about yourself, how you feel on the inside, that's what you're left with. So true. Oh my God, I love it. What is life coaching? What do you do? What is it not? Because I know there's a lot of misconceptions on what is a life coach. A lot of people get to this point where they're like, I don't know what to do. Fix it. And I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. (laughs) Right. That is not how it works. (laughs) Essentially, the majority of my clients, I am helping them work on themselves for about an hour every week. It means that for an hour a week, you're going to work on yourself and work on yourself again from the inside out. And I think people in L.A. especially can get that because in this city, we love to work on ourselves, Mm -hmm. whether it's the astrology retreat that you went to in Sedona or your your dermatologist (laughs) or your fitness coach or your vocal coach or your acting coach or your Equinox membership or your we love to work on ourselves in this city. And I I just like to remind people that. You are the common denominator in your life. So what typically happens for my clients is 
I don't let them play the blame game and wait for everybody else and everything else in their life to change. I make them work on themselves, but then they'll work on themselves and it feels like their world changed. So Mm. suddenly, well, my spouse seems to be showing up differently. I remember this is one of my favorite testimonials because it was so funny and quirky and out of just random. But I remember my client last year texted me one time and said, uh, my kids are doing chores on their own, Stefan. Like, I don't know what we're doing, but it's what? working. And, and here's the thing. I did not tell her. Somebody told me, they're like, you better lead with that yes, testimonial. Right? You're going to get um, some phone calls from this. From this. But, but here's the thing. Ultimately, on a deep, deep level, you are at the cause for so much of what's happening in your life. Mm. So how you show up affects what's going on in your marriage. How you show up affects your children. How you show up affects the set that you're on every day or the studio or the workplace or whatever it is in your career. And so what always happens for my clients is when they really give in to the process and just trust it and work on themselves, it really does feel like the whole world around them changed and they're having a new experience. But it's not because we started with, so tell me everything that you're unhappy with in your circumstances and now we're going to manipulate it to be different. That's, mm. that's not how I work. How I work on is... We're going to talk about you, how you are showing up in your life, because when you show up differently, you can have a new experience. I was just telling, I have so many conversations with Lyft drivers. Uh, I was just (laughs) telling a driver this the other day that um, we were talking about how in in this city in particular, everybody wants to get in the room. They want to pitch their idea. Mm -hmm. They want their demo to be heard. They want to meet the person. They just want to get in the room. And I said to him, you know what's underrated is... What happens next? What happens when you get in the room, but you aren't the person who can live in it? What happens when you get the shot, but you weren't practiced and prepared enough to get to be good enough? What happens when you sabotage because it seems too good to be true? Like there's so much talk about how do you get in the room? And and as a coach, I get frustrated because there's not enough emphasis on how do you stay in the room and live in it and thrive in it. And that's why everybody comes to me because they got in the room and now they're about to sabotage. Or you get in the room and it's not the room you even want to be in. Right. So then you spent your whole life trying to get in this trying room. Trying to get in the wrong room. Right. Like I, you know, I spent the majority of the early part of my life trying to be a dancer and work in the entertainment industry, I finally got my SAG card in the mail and I was like, I don't really care. Hmm. And it was this really eye-opening moment where I was like, I got in the room. I got in the room. Getting I got your SAG in the room card and it didn't feel deal. the way I wanted it to. I got it. I'd been working so hard to get this and I was like, I don't, this doesn't make me happy. This piece of paper doesn't make me feel fulfilled or like, even super proud, you know, and it's something I should have been like really proud, you know, I should Mm. have been really proud of and really excited about. And it was this eye-opening moment of like, I've spent all this time and energy trying to find this, you know, trying to get this carrot that's dangling. And it wasn't even the right carrot. And it took a long time, a couple of years for me to sort of sit in that and figure out, okay, what does that mean? And where do I go from here? And I think that happens with a lot of people where it's like, oh, I want this, you know, whether it's, you know, I want to leave my job and stay home with my kids, or I want to push forward in my career, I want to be, you know, on TV, or I want to whatever. And it's like, you spend your whole life building and putting these little blocks together and fighting and trying and you get all the boxes checked and you get there and then you're like, I don't even want to be in this room. 
And I think, I think two things happen very commonly. One of them is people chasing dreams that don't belong to them to begin with. I think a lot of us are not aware. We got dreams from society. We got dreams mm. from mom and dad. We got dreams from whatever source that was not ourselves. Um, also, though, I do think people's dreams change. Mm-hmm. I think dreams change. And one of the trickiest things in life is just to be present and okay with yourself, whatever your desires are in the moment and letting Mm. that change. Some people are still living out desires and dreams from two decades ago that aren't relevant for them Mm. now, but they, they can't accept that that might've changed. Right. You can't let it go or you've reached a certain level of success. And so the expectation is you continue to do the same thing you've always done. Even if it doesn't resonate with you anymore. Right. And I think, man, that's that's a big one because especially if you've only ever made money or found success in one thing, mm-hmm. um, it can feel really terrifying so to scary. leave behind the one thing that is the one thing that has worked. Right. And that's where I think you have to make a choice about what you believe because ultimately your beliefs are running your life. You may not Mm -hmm. realize it or not. This may be something you already know listening to this. This may be a rude awakening, but your beliefs are running your life. So what you fundamentally believe is bad, that's going to be a major player in your life. What you fundamentally believe is scary and cannot be trusted, that's majorly going to affect your life. Beliefs run the whole show. It's interesting you say that this is, you know, this is totally off topic. But not really. There's, I don't know if you ever watched The Bold Type. Very minimally, but it's a good show. There's yeah. a moment where, you know, it's a story about the this girl who works for like a, you know, really glamour type magazine. She's a writer, but she wants to be a real writer. And she ends up leaving for another position. And she gets fired from that position because it was like a hard hitting news position. And she messes up and she basically calls out her company for sensationalizing the news on a live television thing and her boss fires her and she goes back to the old company and and her old boss and says I made a mistake I want to come back and work for you I was really inspired by you and all this stuff and her boss looks at her and she says you need to sit in this she says I believe that you are sorry and that you would like to come back here but you need to sit in this moment you need to accept what has happened. You need to be in this failure. And I think as a society, we push aside that so much. Like when, when things go wrong or when we feel like we failed or when things are uncomfortable, we try to push past it or push over it or push aside it. You try to find like any way but through it or in it. And I think, you know, it's you got to sit in some of those moments, but it's such this culture to like, no, no, let's brush it aside. Let's brush aside and let's just move forward. And those are the moments when your body, your gut, your everything is like, this is not right. Where we are right now is not okay. And you need to sit in this so that you can find the truth in it or what you believe from it. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing is like. And I think that's a very strong message for anybody listening today that actually you can handle it. Mm. that you can move through anything, that you can shift anything. I mean, a lot of people don't even engage with the stuff because it just feels overwhelming. It just Mm -hmm. feels hopeless. It just feels like too much. I have seen people move through anything and everything that you can imagine. So I promise you can handle it. You can move through anything. You can shift anything. And 
I always say the place where you don't want to go is the place where the healing lies. And so we got to go there and we can go there right now or we can wait nine months and then we can go there and you can be like, oh, I've waited for this breakthrough my whole life. (laughs) But whenever we end up going there, we're going to have to go there because that's the place. That's the place where it is. Um, And energy moves through us so much faster than we think. I always like to use this fact. Um, Biologically, when a emotional reaction is triggered within the biology of your body, your cells, your nervous system, it really only lasts like a single reaction only lasts 90 seconds. And then you get to decide what you do with that. So Mm -hmm. if you press repeat, 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 and just drag it on, drag it on, drag it on, eventually it feels so instinctual that you can't see your way out of that loop. But the Mm -hmm. truth is your brain is not stuck there permanently. When I first started doing personal development work, I literally had someone say to me, You are like a box of tissues that is overstuffed by 100 tissues and everything is crammed in there and there is no more space, no more room, no more capacity, and it's all just jammed and stuck. Hmm. And that was exactly where I was at emotionally because there was so much stuff that I was afraid to look at, afraid to confront, afraid to feel, and it all got stuck. And that's when we don't have space to create something new because our, our hearts are energy is just crowded with right. everything that we haven't been willing to feel. And so people need to realize that thing is not a threat and that thing is not your enemy. If you are willing to look at it, sit with it, be present with it, it'll move on and you'll move forward and it's not going to be there forever. But the longer you repress, it's just like, I never forgot that visual. It's just like jamming yeah, tissues into the so tissue true. box and there's no space for the new that you want in your life at that point. That's Honestly, a really good thank illustration. Thank you, Beverly, who like, told me that back in Yeah, let's actually, so in your process, let's go back to that a little bit because I think your journey is fascinating. You were born into essentially a cult in South Carolina and then became a Disney performer and now a life coach. It's Here we are. not your typical Hollywood journey. story. <laughs> well, right. Well, it's unique. It is unique. And the funny thing is, it took me a long time to get to this place of peace and acceptance and even celebration about it. But it's so clear to me as I look back now, everything unfolded the way it had to, Mm. to get me to this moment. And ultimately, what I say about my childhood is, my childhood was a world driven by fear. We Mm. were supposed to be afraid of ourselves, afraid of our hearts, afraid of our desires, afraid of Hollywood, afraid of liberals, afraid of other Christians that weren't the right kind, afraid of non-Christians, afraid of everybody and everything. Mm. And it's because I grew up in that world that I now take such a stand for the fear is bullshit. I don't know if this is supposed to be explicit. You can beat me out. But... (laughs) It's that reason that I take a stand for we never had to be afraid. And yes, there's dark, scary things in the world, but I am not going to live in a reality of fear. I am not going to live in that. And that was my childhood. And what's funny is I remember being in a conservative um, theology class before I transferred schools. Because you were going to be a pastor, right? I was going to be a pastor. And... I remember being in the like essentially a seminary class, very right. conservative people. But what my te- the the one thing that stuck with me even though my beliefs have changed a lot since then is my teacher always said, 
Beliefs have consequences. Pay attention to your beliefs. Look at your beliefs. Beliefs have consequences. Actually, Lindsay, that's what got me out of that world and into a more healthy place spiritually as a gay man because I started looking at, okay, he's right. Beliefs have consequences. So if you believe these things and that turns out that we now believe in a God who is an angry, vicious monster, what consequences does that have on teaching our children that, on mm-hmm. building a world believing that? On w- What implications does it have for me if I believe that I am fundamentally broken and evil and wrong? What are the consequences of these beliefs you're teaching? And I, I honestly believe it was planting the seeds for the work I do today mm-hmm. because I just told you, what, what do I take a stand for? Your beliefs create your life. Right. Those seeds were planted in me in those seminary classes when I sat there and I thought, you know what? Beliefs do have consequences. And for 20 years of my early life, I have seen what the consequences were growing up in this world. I have Mm -hmm. seen how people are living in worry. They're living in guilt. They're living in terror. They're living in shame. I know what the consequences are of choosing belief system and fear. Mm -hmm. So we might as well, as hippie as it sounds, we might as well give love a try. We might as well try something else because I know the consequences of this belief. And you know, at this point, I'm at a place of, I forgive my mom, I forgive my dad, I forgive all of the people in that world because, you know, the past is not here and I'm I'm whole and I'm happy and it's not harming me now. Um, but I'm very aware that growing up in that fear really did give me an up-close look at what fear does to people. And so now I feel like things that are important to me are not hard to figure out based on that childhood. But... I don't believe in us versus them narratives where we're right and everybody else is wrong. Um, I'm always very wary of somebody trying to make people afraid of the other, right? Whether it's other types of people in another country, in another belief system. Did you know you were in a cult when you were growing up? Okay, so I knew that... I would have defended just because I wouldn't have wanted to be in a cult. I would have defended and said, well, it's very strict. It's not a cult. I did know that mm-hmm. I was in a church that the school thought was kind of culty and in a school that the community at large thought was very culty. Mm-hmm. So there were two layers of like, I did know that people thought our school was a cult. Right. I did know that people thought our church was a cult, even within the school. Like I always joke, right. I was in the strict world within the strict world, the cult within a cult. Right. I did know that people thought that, but this is the tricky thing. And Thank God my mom's not going to listen to this interview because, you know, I I remember watching Leah Remini's Scientology documentary Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking to myself, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of similar dynamics in Mm -hmm. how Leah was, and again, I'm just going by this documentary. So if you're in the church and this is not your experience, that's fine. But I'm watching what Leah was describing and the way that she's describing people are told to cut off family members and various things. I'm watching this thinking, okay, yeah, a lot of these dynamics check out. This is what I saw in the church. This is what I saw in the school. This is what I saw in fundamentalism. And I told my grandma that. And my grandma says to me very wisely, 87-year-old Julie, I love her. The world loves her. (laughs) Um, Any picture I post with her, any post about her, people get extreme engagement. Everyone loves Julie. (laughs) So Grandma Julie says, I just talked to her on the way here. This, I love her. The relationship with Grandma Julie is Grandma real, Julie just to confirm. Is 
Um, but Grandma Julie said to me, you cannot say that to your mother because you know that that's not going to go over well and you mm. know that that's only going to make things worse. And she was right. And this is the tricky thing is the more it actually is a cult dynamic, the more defensive people are going to get about, about you one. implying that it's wrong or even worse. Just you implying that it's wrong is bad enough. Much worse you implying that they're in a cult. So that's the tricky thing is mm. um, I knew what people thought about us, but nobody wants to believe that they're in that, especially right. if you've given 30 years of your life to it. You're, you reach a point where you're not willing to see, you know, there's a, um, a book called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me about the phenomenon of cognitive dissonance when we believe something that we actually know may not be Mm. true and there's a clash in our brain. And what the book says is, to try not to make this too long, but initially when we make a choice, we're at the top of a pyramid and we could go both ways. And for both of my, I've shared this before, I don't know if I've shared this, this publicly, but Both of my parents did not grow up in this world. Mm. So they both had a choice as adults where they they were in college and they were sent to this school and then exposed to the church. Is my dad's campus parent is what they called it, was the pastor of the church. They both had a moment of, do we believe this? Do we buy into this? Is this right? And so at one point, they were at the top of a pyramid and they could have gone either way. They could have liked it or not. They could have accepted it or not. They could have rejected it or not. But once you make a choice, you start going down one side of the pyramid, right? Mm -hmm. And every moment that you keep making a choice, your brain automatically, whether it's right or wrong, your brain is going to continue justifying it, right? Right. So if we decide we're not going to go out tonight, we're probably going to sit at home and try to convince ourselves we made the right Mm -hmm. decision. If we decide to go out, as soon as we get in the car, we're going to try to rally ourselves around the fact that this was the right decision. And so what you got to realize is when you have lived in a world for 30 years and for 30 years, I mean, during their time in this world, the school has been sued for racism. They did not allow interracial dating until 2001. Um, They have been condemned by U.S. presidents, if Mm. I'm remembering correctly. And yet for 30 years, they've climbed down this one side of this is right, this is right, this is right, this is right. So what happens is 30 years down the ladder to even suggest that maybe this is not what you thought it was. It's like if people can get this visual, it's like you're looking up Mount Everest and you would have to climb all the way back up. And there's so much shame and embarrassment and regret in that. So I don't I think I knew what people thought about it. I don't think I was willing to own that it was a cult. I don't think I understood the mind control aspects of it until I was out of it. Right. Um, but I do say that word and it's controversial and I you know, I've it's talked about it with word. my mom. If she hears yeah. the interview, I know how she feels, she knows how I feel. But I use that word not just to be a slur, not to be derogatory or dramatic. I use that word because I studied the dynamics and Mm. I know what I experienced there and I stand in my truth. And Mm. anybody who's been through something where people told you it's not, it wasn't really that, it wasn't that, there's something powerful about owning what really happened. Mm. And if I can't tell myself the truth about that, how can I tell myself the truth about anything? So I use that word with lots of thought and research behind it and I stand in that. Now, yeah. yeah. So how did you go from there to Disney 
to life coaching? When I was 18, my dad kicked me out of the house mm. and talk about a life interruption. Right. That, that forced me to, to be on a new path. You know what I mean? I remember the day I, I had to meet a friend who was working downtown and I was going to live with his family for the summer. They're dear family to me, dear friends. Um, and I actually just went to his wedding and so congrats, Ben and Blake. But I just went to his wedding the other week. It was so special because it was just a big part of my life, that this mm-hmm. pivotal moment. And so when I was 18, um, I remember driving to the parking garage downtown Greenville and just giving myself a moment there because I had to meet Ben. He wasn't off work yet, whatever. I was really uncertain if it was going to work out at that point. Like I'm not... I'm not going to make it over dramatic. It wasn't like I was deeply depressed in that moment, mm-hmm. but it also, I did not have a confidence or a certainty that everything was going to be okay. I really wasn't sure. And, but nevertheless, life had interrupted and I had to adjust and I had to move forward and I had to pick up my feet and put one foot in front of the other and mm-hmm. keep going. And, um, so that happened when I was 18. I started out at a Christian college I felt like it was liberal because it was in response to a fundamentalist cult. It wasn't liberal. (laughs) And so when I came out and came out publicly and came out online, the school called me in and said, "Um, you've really created a PR problem for us and you can still technically attend school here, but you can't be in leadership. You can't work your jobs. You can't be an RA. We cannot have you doing campus ministry, et cetera, et cetera. Is that even legal? Oh, it was a big legal debate at the time. <laughs> yes, I not, assure you. It was a debate at the allowed? time. That sounds very illegal. <laughs> um, well, it's, and that's, that is a big political debate because it's not to go on a tangent, but it's, it's title nine, school. but it's a Christian school. So where, how title nine gets enforced in a Christian environment is a very interesting debate. But anyway, mm. that was another life interruption because I thought, okay, right. I got kicked out. I had to start over. It was a new chapter, but I've solidified everything. And now I'm being interrupted again. Mm. And that one, I actually did handle differently because I remember being in that meeting and just being so clear. They don't want me here. I don't care if they say I can technically remain as a student. I don't feel safe and comfortable here anymore. They've taken away everything that matters to me. They've taken away financial aid. I cannot go here. And I left that meeting and I just remember I had... I was very new to the realm of like spirituality at the time, Mm -hmm. but I had just watched an interview with Maya Angelou and RIP Maya. She was so wise. And I had just heard her talk about in every rainstorm, you might as well go ahead and say thank you because even if you haven't seen it yet, there's a rainbow coming. And I just walked out in the hallway and I just had this piece of, you know what? I I do feel, I don't know how it's going to end up. I don't know where it's going, but I do feel a thank you that this is all going to work out and this is all going to be okay. And I didn't know what that was going to mean. You know, what that ended up meaning is I transferred to my alma mater, Winthrop University, suburb of Charlotte. I love Winthrop. I am Mm -hmm. so glad that I graduated there. So proud to be an Eagle. Had the best time. And Winthrop was what took me to Disney College program, which Mm -hmm. I did as an internship for my final semester of college. So it all worked out. But here's the thing trusting in the moment of redirection that there is not only that I'm going to be okay, but that we're always expanding into more and never less. And so there's more on the other side of this. It's a better chapter I'm coming into. The best is yet Mm -hmm. to come. You don't have to know the details to trust that. 
And I, because I will never forget walking down that hallway and really feeling this is for the best. And I don't, I'm pissed at these people. I'm not mm-hmm. denying my human emotions. I remember walking down that hallway being like, I'm very angry at these people in the moment. But, but thank you, because this is right. going to be for the best. And when you just look at the steps, getting kicked out of the house, um, going to the Christian college, ending up in Charleston, transferring schools, ending up at Winthrop so I could end up at Disney. So when you trace step by step by step by step, it's not a hokey thing. It's not a, it, it may be cliche, but it's very clear to me it all worked out the way that it was supposed to. I, it's and interesting the, you say that because I feel the same way. Like, you know, when, when Micah got laid off, my mindset was like, I, and my mindset still is, I have no idea where that rainbow is, when that rainbow's coming, but I had the same feeling like, thank you. You know what? He didn't like that job. Hmm. He didn't like it at all. He came home miserable and grumpy and frustrated. And for years, we've talked about wanting to do something for ourselves and be able to give our kids more of us, you know, more of him for him to be here more for dinner and not work crazy hours and be stressed and be on his phone and be on his computer. And so my initial thought and my thought still is, even in the uncertainty of having no idea how this is going to play out, is thank you. Like, this is a good thing. Because you never would have left that job because you're caring for a family with three kids and you feel like you have to do that job. But sometimes, like, when a door gets slammed in your face, it's a good thing, you know. Right. But it's hard to see when you can't find the window (laughs) to get out of. (laughs) Right. Um, And I think it's actually, we were joking about this, my friends and I, the other day. It's actually like a cheesy theme of a Hallmark movie that sometimes everything's you, a hallmark everything's movie. a hallmark movie as it should be <laughs> um that sometimes you have to leave the wrong thing mm-hmm. even before you've seen the next door open right. and what's funny is i have had moment after moment and i'll be honest eight times out of ten i don't leave and the mm-hmm. universe has to redirect and it's more forceful truthfully mm-hmm. um i was not taking my business or my coaching practice seriously when i was at disney and I was just comfortable. And I had an injury that knocked me out of the entertainment role. Um, I What was your role? Um, I cannot say to honor <gasps> the integrity of Disney. Oh, However, yeah, there's, a a very, there's a very lovable dog named Pluto that I spent a lot of time with during my Disney days. I will leave it at that. So... Oh my God, I love you. When I did, um, (laughs) yes, he's a very lovable dog. I love to see him when I go back to Disney. Spend a lot of good time (laughs) together. So the knee injury knocked me out of the job for like four months. And I still, like sometimes life interrupts and redirects and you just miss it and you Mm -hmm. just turn a blind eye. And I still was like, well, I'm going to get an insurance settlement and I'm going to go back to the job. And so I'm like sitting at home watching HSN and Game Show Network. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, these daytime commercials are depressing. (laughs) They're all about like debt and creditors and settlements. And I'm like, this is awful. (laughs) Anyway, I still... From like the first two months of not being able to work, I still wasn't taking it seriously. Hey, maybe this is your opportunity and it's time to really own the thing. I finally owned it. Finally. And it was a slow start and it took some time. And I went from Disney. I did some stuff with SoulCycle for a while, helped them open a new Mm -hmm. location. Um, And it took some time. But the point is, 
I had to be forced redirected mm. because I wasn't willing to just honor the thing in my heart. And if life is redirecting you, take the guidance, take the support, run with it. But also, if you have guidance in your heart already, you don't actually have to wait for life to throw curveballs if you know they're coming. If you know something's right. wrong, you can break up with the person, you can leave the job, you can make a plan to leave if it's not responsible to leave now. The point is you can do something to honor the internal guidance before the universe has to like slap you upside the head. <laughs> I, I don't like the visual of the universe smacking or slapping, but sometimes, sometimes, it, it, sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, here's a book recommendation for everybody. If you need to open up to how can the next chapter of my life be better? And that's something you're working with personally. Um, I love the book, the big leap by Gay mm-hmm. Hendricks. The whole concept of it is that we were meant to stay in our zone of genius where we're doing what we're passionate about. It's where we're most gifted. It's where we have the most potential to impact people, to have joy, to make money. And it serves you. It serves the world. It serves your family for you to be in your zone of genius as much as humanly possible, not zone of competence, zone of incompetence, etc. There's plenty of things that you can do that are not what you're meant to do. And so Mm. the book really helped me and helped so many of my clients open up to life is supposed to get better. And actually, life is always moving you forward. Life is not trying to punish you. Life is not trying to hold you back. Life is not trying to push you back. Mm -hmm. Life is always trying to move you forward. So what is the new thing that's trying to come through me? And when you know that, even though the interruptions can be scary, they can also be kind of exciting because we're going somewhere good and the story has a good ending. I love that. I love that. Do you feel like, so the, just the title, like the big leap, do you feel like in order for people to get to a place where they are moving forward and where they are happy and fulfilled and living in their truth, so to speak, does that inherently require risk? Ooh, this is a good question. I think, I think typically, yes, it will require some type of risk. Entrepreneurship certainly requires a whole lot of risk. And I would tell anybody that. Um, But I don't think, I don't think everybody automatically just has to leave. And the reason I'm kind of delicate with this question is there's a a trend in the self-help world to just exit, cut, remove, leave, Mm. as if that is just a magic bullet answer. Well, I can tell you, as someone that got kicked out of the house, as someone that transferred as someone that got fired as someone that got knocked out of a job as someone that dramatically left. like I know the dramatic exit move okay mm-hmm. and I've had the dramatic breakup all of it and it doesn't fix everything sometimes right. you need to but what's always the the interesting part is the new thing that's coming through mm. so I try to be careful about the tendency in self-help people have to just Oh, kick them to the curb, divorce them, cut them off, two weeks notice. Maybe that's right for you. There's somebody listening to this that needs to leave a job and maybe that's right for you. But it's not about leaving. Like this is why I like the big leap. The big leap is actually not about what drastic thing do you need to do. Mm. The big leap is about what if you commit this is a mantra. I literally quote this every day. It's on, I could pull up my phone. It's on my to-do list. The mantra is, I, what if I forget now on the spot? I hate <laughs> misquoting people. The mantra is, I expand 
today and every day. Um, now I'm forgetting it when you try to quote it. The, the cons, I won't quote <laughs> it so I don't idea? misquote. We're not quoting. The idea of the mantra is that you're committing to expanding your capacity for more love, more success, and more abundance. At, and here's the key. As you inspire others to do the same. So you're committing, I'm going to open up for my, this is so good. This feels so good, Lindsay. I am going to open up for my life to get better today. For me to have more love, more success, more abundance. I'm going to open my heart to that and make more space for that. And as I do that, I'm going to inspire other people to do the same. And I love that because if your life just got 0.5% more of your zone of genius every day, do you know how drastically things can change? And you know, and here's the thing. In all the questions and comments and guesses and whatever, the the thing I want people to realize is this. The specifics of what happened for me, like for the business brain people, I can walk them through the numbers. I can walk them through that this is what my business journey looked like. This mm-hmm. is where I went from one client or two clients to a full roster, whatever. It's a, you know, for the business people, there's a whole journey. But here's the thing. Everybody can open up to what I call quantum leaps in their life. The idea of a quantum leap is instead of going from A to Z as A for a while, then B for a while, then C, something happened that skipped you forward. Mm-hmm. I use, now this is funny because I started, I started praising JLo and now I'm going to contradict her. Mm-hmm. JLo says, there are no elevators to success. You have to take the stairs. And I do believe in taking the stairs and I do believe in showing up. But I will say this, along the path of taking the stairs, sometimes the elevator does open up for you. Mm -hmm. And I want people to be open to that. So like when I started actually committing to my business in 2015 and 2016, my commitment was that I was going to show up online minimum three times a day as America's life coach. And I was going to show up. Didn't have any attachment to what happened, didn't have any expectation, but I was going to show up Mm -hmm. because I knew if I did that for a year, I would have shown up a thousand times. Now, having done that since 2015, do you know the referral base that we have, the audience that we have, the content library that we have from consistent showing up? And what's happened is along the way of consistently showing up, there have been elevator moments, right? So along the way of showing up, someone said to me, I work with a network of billionaires and celebrities. We don't have a single coach on our platform. I think that's crazy. Do you want to be the coach for our network? That was an (laughs) elevator moment in the midst of climbing the stairs. And there's many that I could list. Mm -hmm. And so I don't believe it's only ever taking the stairs because I think there are elevator moments where suddenly your life changes. What I, the key is you don't wait for the elevator moments. You climb the stairs no matter what, mm-hmm. but be open to the elevator moments. Be open to the fact that your life could look so different and so much better a year from now, not 10 years down the road, but one year down the road, right? Mm-hmm. And I think at some point, my life had changed so many times from getting kicked out to one school to another school and the fired and the California and Disney and Soul Cycle and... My life had changed enough in a short period of time that I just decided to be open to, of course it could change. Right. Of course it could change. And when I started opening up to that, life changed a lot. A lot of people's skepticism is just, there's no way that right. in this short period of time, I knew you here and how did you already get... Right. Listen to the skepticism and what people's beliefs are saying. 
you went from here to here in this short period of time. Clearly, you're doing something shady. Like, right. well, I mean, we see the Facebook ads over and over. Like, I launched my multi-million dollar e-commerce business overnight, or I did, you know, and it's and it's always met with skepticism. Right. Like, this is well, got to be a scam. You just want me to join your like mastermind group or your focus group or buy your guidebook or whatever it is. It always feels ingenuine. Sure. And I think some of it is a scam. Some of it is people lying or misrepresenting. I have nothing to push today of it must be this. It should look like this. Buy this to do it. I don't really care. I didn't come here to sell anything. (laughs) But what I believe in is the more open you are to life changing for the better, the more it can. And that's why every day I do read that mantra and I really do take a second to feel into more love. Right. If you were to give a new client like one piece of advice or somebody who is thinking about getting a life coach or somebody who's just in one of those moments or even not even in a moment, but just is looking around at their life and saying like this is not what they want. You know, they've had that nagging feeling for a while that like this relationship isn't right or this job is not right or just I'm unhappy where I'm at. Is there like one thing that universally people can do to work towards getting out of that situation and moving forward to the next. Okay, so this is a little bit of a mindset, but I think it's it's actionable. I don't know that there's one universal action step that everybody right. would take, but I think this mindset is universal. So um, we have something in metaphysics that we talk about is the law of cause and effect. Mm. So the idea is we make choices at the level of cause, which is not just a choice like what car we bought, but also like what we believe about ourselves is a choice, right? How we speak to the people in our family, that's a choice. All of these things are choices that we make at the level of cause. And what they result in is at the level of effect. As the old preacher said in my childhood, young people, you can choose your choices, (laughs) but you can't choose the consequences. So Mm. you're making choices at the level of cause. Now, where most people get tripped up is the effects are not what they want them to be. Mm -hmm. And so they're pissed and they get stuck in the effects of why can't I change that now? Mm -hmm. Right. And so the, the best thing anybody could do today is stop obsessing about the effects, not because they can't change, not because they don't matter, but because that is not where your power lies. Mm. Right. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You had the power all along. The power does not lie in you being angry at the effects showing up in your life. Where your power lies is going back to you at cause. My favorite illustration of this is it's like the projector in the movie theater has a a movie reel in it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the screen. Getting mad at the effects is like getting mad at the screen. You can't fix it. You can tear up the screen. You need to change what's in the projector. And so the universal thing I would tell people is you had the power all along. You just had the power at the level of cause. And so what that means is you have to go again from the inside out. You have to ask yourself, who would I like to be in this moment? How would I like to show up? What would I like to choose now? And your brain is going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But look at all these problems and look at the past and look at all the evidence we have. But again, all of that is just the effects and the effects of your past, whatever, None of that has to be repeated. So stay in your power at the level of cause. 
And here's, I guess, the principle that I'll close with is my favorite spiritual text, A Course in Miracles, says you cannot have what you are not willing to become. And so often, and this is a universal, I universally move the conversation away from how do we have X, Y, Z to how do we become and how do we be blank? Because that's where the fulfillment lies, right? Right. The the trap is if I have all these things, it's automatically going to feel right. No, if I am this... It's going to feel right. And so what everybody can do is take a step back from the effects. I know there's situations in your life you wish were different. I know that you think this needs to happen and if, then, this and all the stuff. But take a step back from that and really go into your power at the level of cause. And what is it that you are being called to be in this moment? Because that's where the new lies. And when I could get away from that situation, I could see, wait a minute. I have this purpose and this message and this passion and I haven't been taking it seriously. Mm. And so at the level of cause, I am supposed to bring this into the world. And when I owned that, suddenly I wasn't the victim to all these situations and the insurance settlement and the company and the Disney and the this, that and the other. Suddenly that wasn't this big problem and all of it changed. Mm. But all of it didn't change because I was angry about it. All of it changed when I got back to my power. And Everybody can do that. Everybody has power. I'm not saying that there's no effects in your life that aren't Mm -hmm. caused by other people. But what I am saying is your greatest point of power is at the level of cause. You can choose your thoughts. You can choose your beliefs. You can choose all of what you choose to create and show up as in the world. And when you shift that, like I said, your world shifts. So that's my universal thing for everybody. I love it. Great insight, great advice. Thank you so much again for being here today, Stefan. If you want to find more out about Stefan, what he does, or connect with him online, his website is americaslifecoach.us, or you can go to applywithstefan.com if you're interested in his work as a life coach. Thank you guys for listening to the Rock This Life podcast. Follow us on social media at Rock This Life Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or go to our website at rockthislifepodcast.com. And if you liked what you heard, please be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. See you next time.